0: Paging Alanis Morris said. World trade and, and irony may spike. It's like Ray, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a free
1: ride. Actually, that would be good. Can you bring that music in behind it? That you just can't take. Why? My voice is not good enough. Your voice is absolutely horrendous. That's, that's a little bit too much. It's my, not absolutely horrendous, just horrendous. My mother said, I
0: have the voice of an angel. I've been called the songbird. Hey, Ma. My, I've been called the songbird. Hey, my, Ma, what are you doing back there? If you let me finish, I would tell you that I've been called the songbird <laughs> of my generation. You just have not been called that. That's, is that what we're doing now? We're lying? It's truthful hyperbole, as, as they say in the art of the deal. <laughs> Welcome everybody. I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to the Trades Planning Podcast. We're here to have sharp, fun conversations as we touch on issues of trade, current events, and expat life.
1: Along the way, we'll poke a little fun at international development and ourselves, Artie from the perspective of a millennial who hasn't done much yet, and myself a seasoned middle-aged middle manager.
0: Our goal, demystify, decomplexify, de-whateverify. It's to get to the heart of these key issues, figure out how we got here, what's important, and why.
1: And remember, folks, these views do not represent the views of any organization, our families, or even each other. Nobody.
0: I don't even know what we're doing. I don't even know how this thing got turned on. How did this mic get here?
1: I didn't met, I never met the guy. Who, I hardly knew him. Who pushed play?
0: <laughs>
1: Welcome, everyone, once again to Trades Planning. This is our third episode. We've got a great episode for you today, packed full of interesting trade issues, trade-ish issues, how these are affecting us here in Geneva, and I think a super interesting interview with Barbara Ramos coming up. That's right, folks.
0: Plenty to talk about this episode. We're going to take a look at the latest news from the UK and Brexit, remember that, as well as latest salvos on the trade war. And as Rob mentioned later on, we'll be speaking with Barbara Ramos, head of research and export strategies at the International Trade Center.
1: Okay, thanks also to all of our listeners, or at least downloaders, of Episodes 1 and 2. We've gotten some great constructive feedback, slash possibly could-be-called criticism since those came out. It was constructive. Constructive. Highly constructive. Hate mail. One of them was too many men talking. Don't know what I can do about that. Do do have an issue there. I don't know if it's an issue. It's an observation. It's an observation. There were a lot of men
0: talking. No, no, no. no. They said two as in there's two Two, men. Two men talking. So it was an observation. Okay, an
1: observation. Another one, talk faster, you're too boring. (laughs) Is that, uh, (laughs) can we speed that up a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think you were just practicing this one. I think this came directly from uh, the inner circle here. Laugh more. We can't tell when you're making a joke because some other people could say it's just not funny. So we need to tell people when it is. Yeah. Laugh now. Laugh laugh now. (laughs) Another one we got was no more wife jokes. I didn't really get that at all. I didn't understand that one. We're taking it on board. Of course, we're listening. Make episodes shorter make episodes short again. That's uh, that's all we got in terms of feedback, as far as I know. And that's just the feedback from the family. And I've got one waiting. Celeste wrote me a message that says... Celeste is your daughter. Yeah. I've got some constructive feedback, she said, but didn't tell me what. The suspense continues. Until next episode. (laughs) We better start recording before I get it, because it could be (laughs) stop doing this thing.
0: (laughs) Okay, guys, we are joking if you couldn't tell. Um, maybe I think it's a, it is a good time to address um, some of these. So, I mean, we have taken the feedback on board. I must say that most of it has been, I would say, ninety nine percent of it, maybe more, <laughs> has been <laughs> so mostly positive. So, we thank you everybody for that. No, on a serious note, if we do make jokes about these things, please know that we are in fact joking. If we do mention things like this, which may be satirical is because having worked in development for a number of years, we believe in the, in the work we're doing. And so if we do make light of these things, it is because we want to raise awareness of them.
1: Yeah. One of the other pieces of feedback we got was, you stop making fun of Rob's age. I think that-, that was just from you. <laughs> <laughs> but I will take that constructive criticism. I reviewed on board. the podcast many times. <laughs> <laughs> five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with Artie. We do believe in development. We do believe in what we're doing. We believe in Geneva in a way. So this is all in in our way of showing that is our way of also testing some of the assumptions and some of the things behind it. For those of you who do have more constructive criticism, thoughts, comments, or
0: news you've heard, for example, that you think we should be talking about, send those to
1: trade.splaining at gmail.com. And these views do not necessarily represent the anybody, views of anybody, any organization. Nobody, no, nobody. Without further ado, let's get into it.
0: So, where to begin first, Rob? Why don't we start with a quick rundown? There's a lot going on. The EU, everybody's favorite supranational body, has uh, been sounding the alarm on a critical raw material shortages throughout the bloc. New Zealand is also in the news recently. Yeah, it's a surprise. They've mandated climate reporting for financial services companies. Also, something a bit closer to home, the Geneva Motor Show is in trouble. We'll be getting into that in a little bit. There's also bits on COVID, which has been accelerating trends in the fast food industry, things that are happening as we speak. And then there's everybody's favorite, Brexit. Why don't you start us off, Rob?
1: Thanks, Artie. This EU sounding the alarm on critical raw materials, it's maybe another signal of more anxiousness about interdependency, about long supply chains, about thinking who has control over resources, not about economic efficiency and whether managed trade is coming. So the European Union has to say, hmm, we have to think about different rare elements for cell phones, rare elements for different industrial inputs. And they have to start thinking, where can we secure more of this? Where can we mine more of this? So this is this sensitivity we hear. Are supply chains going to shorten? Are we going to get more into managed trade? And all of this is also, I think, a byproduct of this thinking about trade wars and winning and losing things.
0: I think for sure, I think when you're looking at it at a 30,000-foot view, You're seeing in the U.S. whether they're talking about securing critical infrastructure in the form of uh, technology or uh, critical components for chips and things like this, or they're using different terminology in in Europe, but I think they're all going around the the same thing. And that's broadly speaking what you just mentioned. So I don't know what what this will look like in a year from now, but I think COVID has scared capitals around the world and it highlighted weaknesses within the supply systems. We had Bernard Hochman on a, a few weeks ago and His take was was more optimistic in that sense. But would I be so optimistic? I don't think so.
1: I think his point was also that when governments start to act like this, they get it wrong. They got it wrong in some ways during corona. Access to medical supplies, access to to PPE and so on. So if this is now the way governments are going to be focused in terms of managing trade, how can they get it? That's I guess. It's more of a question in this episode than than an answer. This seems to be a pivot for the Europeans as the US has done. And of course, as we know, uh, Chinese policy has been. On New Zealand, it's similar in the sense that we've had this cave-in of trade. Now we're coming out, could be a V-shaped recovery, could be W or longer shaped recovery. And the countries, especially developed countries are thinking about building back better. How do we trade differently? And New Zealand has kind of led the way here with reporting on responsible behavior within supply chain. So they're asking everybody to begin reporting. And I think that could be a massive development, although this is, of course, one small country. If we start regulating these in the buying markets, it could have a change in behavior of uh, companies.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting bit of news. I think When we're talking about supply chains, we talk a lot about lead firms and and how they influence actors lower down the food chain. I think New Zealand is is an example of a country acting as a lead firm in terms of climate reporting. So it'll be interesting to see, even though it is a smaller country, whether or not
1: others follow in those footsteps. And there have been a couple of examples. The Modern Slavery Act, the UK used in 2015, changed behavior of companies. Many other countries adopted it. So let's see if it goes further. Another trend, maybe it's been accelerated by COVID, is the potential end of the Geneva Motor Show. What did this tell us? First of all, I can't tour it with my daughters holding a beer, which was a, this is a development that was an important one for me. But also, it's your daughter those, or the beer, pick one. Yeah. Well, it was also we loved the event because you couldn't get there by car, and you don't own a car. That we we thought, boy, that's a that's a really stinging irony. <laughs> <laughs> this is Geneva for us. It'd take a bus to a car show. That is ironic.
0: Is that a Alanis Morissette reference?
1: It's a Yeah, I think this is where it is. Music should come in. Maybe we just put a little segment in there.
0: Oh, there's no need to tell me that it's coming.
1: So what does it tell us? Maybe these giant carbon generating trade shows are a thing of the past, has a big implication for our work. Maybe the companies which got a lot of Energy built up around the most expensive, least, uh, normally least sustainable automobiles, these, these Lamborghinis, the Ferraris. You mean the coolest? Uh, these are the ones I wanted to see holding the beer. I wasn't too interested in the Yugo. Or the Fiat Punto? <laughs> So is that, is this a way and will that change trade in a lot of ways? Because our season has been very much built around trade shows and around person to person contact for sales. Is that no longer going to be necessary or maybe is it no longer going to be possible? Right. So if we take that to the Geneva kebab, the Elamir shawarma versus Profit Beirut shawarma, how do we see COVID accelerating that uh, situation?
0: Well, I think the comparative advantage with the kebab stands is that normally when you go there, you're not really worrying about COVID. So there, I think they've just continued on as usual. I don't see any change. I is see no end? change. That's there's the... there's still a line out the door of people stumbling in. Both sides. Yeah.
1: So that, let's keep let's keep monitoring that. Let's put a pin on that and yeah. come back.
0: We should do some field research.
1: Yeah. Maybe tonight. It's a Saturday. Yeah. In fact, I would also like to ascend that to pizza kebab, which is a favorite, favorite treat. So the last thing we had on our list was Brexit is still a thing. It is still a thing. It's coming. The UK has decided to kind of reach across the, the pond as a way to kind of get this thing moving. As we one both, does. As one does. I think it was a great way to kind of kind of get things going. They did, however, conclude a trade agreement with Japan. So that was a step. We've also seen them do many agreements across the world. All of these together cover about 8 to 10% of UK trades. And next week, we are talking about the financial services industry investment. So we're going to scan the world for interesting developments in that sector.
0: Keep an eye out for that, all you financial junkies out there. It's going to be a fantastic episode and a nice change of gears. But as always, we'll be bringing it back to why this matters and, of course, touching on that trade angle, which, of course, is everywhere because trade is everything. Everything is everything. Good night, folks. Good night and good luck. Ciao. The show's not over, actually. We're just is going it, to the next
1: this, segment. What are we doing? Read the script. It's in the script. Bye-bye, Moving folks. Moving on. Check. <laughs> That brings us to our next segment, Artie. We are super psyched to have Barbara Ramos with us as an interview guest, Barbara's chief of research and strategies for export at the International Trade Center, a very august institution. Prior to joining ITC, Barbara was the Team Manager and Knowledge Lead at the Global Alliance for Trade Facilitation, where she led the team responsible for research, trade data analysis, and monitoring and evaluation.
0: Barbara has also previously worked to the Inter-American Development Bank in Washington, D.C., the African Development Bank in Tunis, and USAID in Brazil and Mozambique. Barbara has also been a lecturer of international trade at the Fletcher School for a number of years. And no, I'm not trying to make Rob even more upset, I promise.
1: Let me just finish this up by saying Barbara holds a Ph.D. and M.A. in international trade from the Fletcher School of Tufts University, an institution which did not see fit to admit me back in the 1990s, and an M.A. in international relations from the Universidade de Brasilia in Brazil.
0: Barbara, thank you for joining us. So maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in trade? what brought you to Geneva and what's the journey been like for you?
2: Sure. Well, thank you, Ardian. Thanks, Rob, for, for inviting me today. It's it's great fun to be here. So when did I start in trade? Quite young, so a couple of years ago, but been to Geneva in the last two years. I'm now at ITC. I was with the World Economic Forum before, also working on trade. But although I'm a new expert to Geneva, I think I've been in the expert life for quite some time. So before Geneva, I was in Washington, D.C. for, for a few years. Before that, I was in Tunisia from 2009, 2011. So during uh, exciting times in that country. Before that, it was in Mozambique. Before I was in Boston, I guess we'll have to talk about that too. And before that, in Brazil. So I came to Geneva because of work, as I mentioned, World Economic Forum. Now is ITC as the chief of the research and export strategies division.
0: So Barbara, one of the questions that we wanted to ask was, how has the way uh, you think about trade changed, if at all? And has there been anything in particular that has shaped this, whether it's been a particular event, a book you read, an article, uh, have your views on trade uh, changed at all?
2: Okay, I'll start from the end. Yes, my views on trade have, have changed quite a bit when I first went to the field. I studied trade for many years, so beautiful models, beautiful theories, and then there I was at the border of uh, Mozambique and Zambia sitting at a border post and seeing a bunch of trucks just standing there for days. The day. And, and I asked the people, said, so what's happening here? And they said, well, basically they just created a new border post, which was part of the project that I was supporting. And he said, this border post is only open for a little bit of time. And when we get here, it's closed, we wait. And then by the time we cross the border, we get to the market, all the customers are gone. So that really changed the way I view trade. I still believe that trade is wonderful, lifts all boats in the aggregate, but we wanna make sure that, that we're lifting the right boats in the right places. So I guess that's that was the experience that changed the way I see it the most.
1: So that I mean, that brings me to a question. You and I were sitting at a panel today, and it was quite interesting from from a certain standpoint, technically, but this was about WTO, rethinking trade and so on. But the issue of inequality didn't come up until well into it. You and I both looked at each other, it had been about an hour already, and it came from the audience, not from the panelists or from the person that was moderating. Why do you think that is? They just don't get it? Or are expectations of trade too high?
2: I don't think these people don't get it. These are the smartest people around on trade, so they do get it. But I think there is a choice, both in terms of practitioners of trade and, and theorists, to to frame the subject in a certain way and to leave a lot of things for the small print. We tend to say trade is wonderful, trade lifts all boats, and we forget that in order for that to happen, we need to have a series of domestic policies to enable those that are suffering to benefit, at least, or at least not to suffer while others are benefiting. And I think that's where things get tricky because if you're if you're sitting at the WTO or any other organization, you don't have the ability to shape domestic policies. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where the reluctance comes in, that we need to make sure that governments, our, our partners, are aware of that and are implementing the right kinds of policies to support those people that tend to lose otherwise it jeopardizes the system. Look at what's happening in Europe. Look at what's happening in the United States. If we simply ignore those that are losing, we we run the risk of, of not making it work for anybody.
1: I want to go a little bit further on these issues of distribution. We see the UNCTAD has come out with a trade and development report. They talk about a lost decade and so on after the financial crisis. And they talk about returns concentrating and getting higher and higher to capital, to education, and increasingly also about a concentration of wealth and innovation and power in cities. So those that are in cities are benefiting from these. And so we're increasingly seeing these poles, growth polls. So should we even be talking about negotiations between countries? Should we be thinking about trade differently? Should it be between cities? And what's the implication for our work of, of all of this? Should we not think about a project in Uganda, but rather in Kampala?
2: It's interesting. I think I'm going to split the question into two. I think the first one that we're seeing higher returns to capital, higher returns to education. Again, that should not surprise the trade one right? Especially in developed countries. Those countries are rich in capital. They're rich in, in skilled labor labor. So when you open up to trade, all things equal, those should benefit. But what's interesting is what's happening in developing, because there we should expect the opposite. We should expect unskilled labor to benefit from from trade openness. And although we've seen that, as as we just mentioned, in China and a lot of developing countries, a lot of people being lifted out of poverty, to some extent, there is a lot of concentration of income. So to me, that's the interesting question. Why in developing countries, we're not seeing the closing uh, of this gap? Perhaps that has to do with what you were mentioning in terms of, of concentration around cities, because that has to do with scale. And it creates a, a- A virtuous or a vicious cycle, however you want to see it, once something happens, and it could happen because the the main consumers are there or because the raw materials are there, because the workers are there, something happens and creates sort of this cycle, and then the concentration should just keep feeding off itself. So I think that the subject of cities is going to change the way in which we look at trade.
0: That brings me to something I've been thinking a lot about. In my career, I think thus far I've realized we're very good at highlighting an issue or a problem, but we're not very good at proposing solutions to them. So when you're talking about, for example, consolidation or concentration, I think a question that I have is, what does this mean for the future of work? So if the returns to education, they continue to increase in line with the current trends, how do we deal with, with the effects, the, the effects of dislocation on labor markets, for example, higher unemployment for those who are not able to capitalize on that education or, or capital uh, gravy train, if you will? What do we do with those those folks who fall behind through no fault of their own?
2: Well, I'll start by saying what the solution is not. The solution is not closing a country to international trade. And the solution is not trying to revive industries that are long gone. That's not the solution. I think the solution is to remain open, as as we were talking in the beginning, is to implement the right domestic policies that will, one, encourage people to move towards the sectors that are booming or the sectors in which the country is competitive, and to discourage them from remaining in those sectors that are declining. So that's number one. And number two, that's very nice, but what happens to the people that are there right now and cannot move sectors because they cannot be retrained, because they're too old, because moving is really hard. And here we are talking about expats. That's difficult. Yeah. Yep. And that requires safety nets to assist these people in navigating this transition. That's not going to happen for them. However, a lot of countries do not have the ability to do that. And I think that's where... International organizations, development banks, fund providers can assist because there will be a chunk of your population that you won't be able to retrain, that you need to sustain until they reach retirement age.
1: I think you made also a really good point. There's a human side to this. A person is not like capital. So it does not. It's not frictionless. Somebody's been a factory worker in Janesville. Wisconsin is not going to move to my hometown of Madison and suddenly become a programmer. So there's a really human element to that.
2: I think that goes way beyond economics. That goes mm. into, into psychology and sociology and whatnot. Mm. But what we're seeing is people are more mobile than before. But still, it's, it's a, such a small percentage of people that actually move across state borders in the United States that move cities and state borders. So we are, humans are not that mobile. Now, one thing bringing back the issue of COVID is that that might change. We're now looking at people being able to do certain types of jobs from their homes from wherever they are so that could come into play in the future work so if maybe you do not need to move from ohio to to washington dc or new york or california to find that phenomenal job in a booming area if you can do that from where you are that will lessen some of the disincentives or some of the challenges that people encounter in moving and i think if there's anything that's going to come out of covid is is this potential to to move this concentration of activity back a little bit, because now we're seeing that people can, in, in certain industries, work from anywhere, and they don't need to relocate to be able to, to perform.
0: One question I always have is, what does that do to uh, state and local economies in terms of fiscal policy? Do you think we'll see a a race to the bottom in terms of states or provincial governments competing to offer lowest tax rates for these types of work? And then does that have a second order effect on these social safety nets? If you're reducing the tax base because you want to incentivize these types of mobile workers, does that reduce what's left then to provide a safety net for these workers who are left out? Or am I just thinking too pessimistically?
2: I think, again, what COVID has taught us is that we need to think more creatively about these issues. This is not just about racing to the bottom to give the lowest tax rate. We saw some countries trying to attract people to work there during lockdown, saying, come here, we're not going to charge any income tax. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, it could be very interesting to see cities, for instance, like New York and San Francisco, where the cost of living is just so incredibly high, kicking people out of the cities where they were born. And I think that could be an interesting point. If you no longer need to be in San Francisco or Berkeley to work at Silicon Valley, if you can do that from Florida, that may actually bring back some balance to, to, some, to, to the cost of living in some cities to the benefit of those people that could be needing the social safety net because they're just priced out. So there, there are lots of different things that could happen there that I think it's, it's, it's too dynamic to, to be able to, to say what's going to happen. Depends on what incentives are, are going to be stronger for people.
1: We don't believe people are going to be moving to Staten Island. <laughs> we don't see any model that indicates that. It's an island. That's people moving. People are going to be moving away from that. There's no model, really. Farber's looked at all the
0: models. It's actually perfect. It's not actually connected to New York City. It's still a part of New York City, and it's (laughs) close enough to Jersey to say you're bridge and tunnel. It's not Jersey?
2: But if you don't need to live in New York City, why would you leave in Seton Island? Just go to the Bahamas or something.
0: You could go to Switzerland like
1: I did. Bahamas that's in terms of
2: cost of living, I don't think you made that much of a good trade over there.
1: So Barbara, we wanted to get you also to talk to us about life in life in Geneva a little bit. So you're Brazilian. I think that would be accurate. You saying, spent some time saying. in the U.S. survey. And would you say the move to Geneva was pretty smooth? Would you say Brazil and Geneva quite similar? You,
2: no, yeah, the, the move is. to Geneva was pretty smooth because Brazil and Geneva are not very similar. Uh, uh, that's okay. fair. Okay.
1: <laughs> it's a surprise. What did you discover when you got here that surprised you a little bit?
2: That too, but this reliance on La Poste and it's to mail. be done by mail. Yeah,
1: it's true. And they, they trust you. They'll send you a bill.
2: It's it's, that you go online and you're able to submit your request online. And then within two days, you get a letter saying, please submit this by mail. Why do you even give me the option of doing it online? It's incredible, but it is very reliable, I have to say.
1: I still don't know how to post a letter. We discovered earlier in an earlier podcast, Artie does not know which side of the envelope a stamp goes on.
2: It's the same one as in the US.
1: Yeah, he never... I tweeted I tweet everything. (laughs) He's never (laughs) discovered an envelope. I did get a stimulus check
0: in the mail, so I didn't need to mail anything. Yeah. It came to you. Okay. Barbara, we're going to switch gears slightly. One thing we're interested in when we're talking to people on the podcast is getting their sense of what's it like watching proceedings in your home country while living abroad? And do you find it different? Is there anything you realized about your home country while living as an expat that maybe you didn't know before? churrascarias or maybe there's too much meat or caperinas are not as good as a stiff april spritz here in Geneva, or is carnival too touristy i mean what did you discover oh
2: gosh yeah (laughs) i mean it's interesting i think the first thing for me that was a little bit of a shock was to see how and that's not just people here in switzerland or the united states and not just in relation to brazil but how we simplify other cultures Mm. right brazil is about soccer And to me, it's very sad to see that the official advertisement of Brazil is also focused on those stereotypes. And I think second, you become a little bit less tolerant, I think, Uh, especially here in in Geneva and seeing how things work. Things, the streets are clean and you walk on the streets late at night and you're safe. And this obviously coming from from a country growing up in, in a city where I didn't feel like that growing up. There are wonderful things about my country, but I think it makes me more frustrated by seeing how things work elsewhere.
1: So one of the things we enjoy about Geneva that we wanted to ask all of our our guests about, have you had your bike stolen yet?
2: I had my bike stolen in Washington, D.C. from a second floor balcony. Don't ask me how that guy managed, or a girl maybe, to climb to the second floor balcony, but never in Geneva.
0: That's impressive. If I'm going to get my bike stolen, I want it stolen like that. Like, I mean, getting up is one thing, but you have to get back down with the bike.
2: Exactly. How do you get back down with a bike? <laughs>
1: This is, okay. This is intriguing.
2: I bought that bike on graduate school. I paid probably $250 for that bike, That's, like five years prior. So it was worth nothing. Definitely not worth, it it was worth, worth, it was worth your life. It was worth
0: something. <laughs> it had some notional value. It's like an artwork. I think we all, we have a last question already. So you've been in Geneva for a while now. So what is your favorite kebab place in Geneva? And before you answer, usually it comes down to two big ones. In Geneva it's either Alamir or Parfum de Beirut. And remember, they are right next to each other. Yeah, so they recording. so they will know what you said. We're recording this.
2: I am perfectly safe there. I'm the weirdest kind of Brazilian. I'm vegetarian. Oh.
1: Uh, sorry, we couldn't hear you. Even after two AM? It <laughs> <You're> broke up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what could you eat for a vegetarian? Fal- at a, 2 a. a falafel.
2: Oh, but- is it possible to
0: go out in Geneva after 2 a.m.? If you want a kebab. If you want a kebab. <laughs> a <laughs> falafel, yeah. Very good point. Alamir falafel with spicy sauce. Sorry, Parfum de Beirut. The people have spoken. No, the right answer is Parfum de Beirut. The right answer is whatever is closer and door uh, open.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good. I think we need to let you get back to work. Barbara Ramos, thank you very much for joining Trade planning. Till next time, Barbara. Guys,
2: right, thank you. It's a pleasure. Till next time.
0: Well, everybody, that brings us to our next segment, and this is everybody's favorite. I'm talking about Overheard at the UN Beach. Rob, why don't you start us off? By the way, this segment is sponsored by absolutely no one. No one so far. Hashtag
1: get in early, buy low, sell high. Well, we've got a new UN word of the day. Tell me more. Uh, This is something we're using to describe our work and to monitor how we're doing It's called value for money. What does that mean to you, Artie?
0: Well, value for money can mean a number of different things, Rob. For me, I think foremost, it's about economy, efficiency, effectiveness. Uh, It's also meant to give us some way to make the effect of our work more comparable across projects so we don't get mired in the details. It's really thinking 30,000 foot while
1: operating at ground level. Uh, Yes, Artie. Very good try. I like where you're going with that. But also, Artie, it means doing exactly what you were doing before, but using different adjectives.
0: I'm starting to sense a pattern here. Speaking of value for money, Rob, have you heard about the new Connecta app? No, Artie. What's that? Well, I recently heard about this over strawberry daiquiris at the UN Beach. Basically, Connect is a UN collaboration and skill-sharing platform that enables UN system personnel to connect and search for specific skills and opportunities across entities within the UN secretariat and UN agencies. I think it's a really forward-looking initiative that shows that the UN is still at the cutting edge of innovation.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it sounds really excellent. It's it's crazy. There isn't already a social media platform or app or something where you could interact with others in your industry network. It, it, it's it's an amazing gap that needs to be filled. I
0: just wonder, though, if there's a better name for it. Maybe instead of Connecta, uh, they could call it something. I don't know. Like, Linka? No, maybe Linking with Others. Link I mean, with? Checking in. Che- linking checking, in? Che- no, no. Look- LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. LinkedIn that's be. a good name. Maybe we, we'll get back to them. We on should that. run by them. LinkedIn,
1: where you could connect and and even see what people are doing and share and start skills, talk. even even job. Yeah,
0: yeah. they could post jobs like openings and things like this. A one stop shop for networking.
1: Yeah, I think
0: LinkedIn. No, what no, was no, it? no, we said LinkedIn. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, in. Yeah. LinkedIn. very good. Not out. In, yeah, you're in. Are in. you in? I'm in. I'm in too. Hashtag we get a budget. LinkedIn squared.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Artie, now we bring it home here in Switzerland with this week in local news. Home is where the heart is, Rob. It's where the hearth is. Hearth. Hearth. Hearth is. Earth? What's a hearth? Are you? <laughs> Have you been reading Macbeth recently? So uh, let me jump right into it. As you know, I'm a great uh, monitor or of the Swiss legal system. We've got the trial of the century here. Remember mm-hmm. last uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, it was about the five kilos of Mary Jane. Now the trial of the moment, a Swiss border guard was just found guilty by a military court of violating the law on the protection of animals. It was fair. It wasn't very much protecting of animals. It was back in 2016. It's just now come uh, to the end of the trial. It's a big year. A lot of things happened that year. I think this is probably... This is a bigger one. This is this is the big one. Brexit, out of the way. So the guard was disturbed by a pigeon while well protecting Geneva from from EU job seekers right on the border here. <laughs> and uh, so after he threw a few rocks, one does, one does that. As one does. He asked colleagues to go back in the office. He brought an air gun to work with him. <laughs> he fired at the pigeon three times. <laughs> Not a very good shot, so we're, we're a little worried on that side, but that wasn't the issue. He hit the pigeon. The pigeon fell. He administered what he thought was a coup de grace, and the pigeon is no longer with us. Is this a real story? This is a real story. No, it's not. This is a real story. The military court has found him guilty. It's uh, fined him. It's given him a two-year suspended sentence for the... Unfortunate incidents that occurred on 2016. This reminds me of the opening scene from The Godfather.
0: And they give us a suspended senses <laughs> What kind of a justice is this? I don't...
1: <laughs> Look, I, I, I really sympathize with the guy. I was at a wedding once and a pigeon defecated on my shoulder. Lucky you. Many around me said this was good luck. I didn't really see it that way. If I had an air gun, I don't know what I would have done.
0: It's a good thing that there are laws against guns in Switzerland. Or you can have a gun, but you only have five bullets.
1: Yeah. Then you can run to the nearest barracks and get loaded up. I think this is, it's not really his fault. I mean, what
0: do border guards do nowadays? There's nobody to invade, right? The Germans are not invading anytime soon. So what are they there to do? Check out how much meat and milk you brought with you. What
1: do you mean they're not invading? Have you you applied for a job around here recently? Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Connector. Finally, we have a couple of votations, as you know, in Switzerland, which we'd love to monitor. There are a lot, so this keeps us going also on the podcast. Switzerland was voting on two weeks of paternity leave. Now, normally we only hear the word paternity in relation to? Paternity test. Yeah. So they were voting on two weeks of paternity leave for Swiss men because they can't have maternity leave. That's the word paternity. That's actually a good point. The center-right parties, they felt it was a trade issue. So this is going to make small companies uncompetitive because all these men are going to be taking two weeks off for births. And uh, many of the parties just said, can't they just use their normal vacation time? Fair point. Why not just, you know. We'll uh, let you, the voters, decide. Like if you're going to go down to Spain, take a couple of weeks, have a kid, take a couple weeks. In fact, eventually they did vote for it. So I believe that's now authorized two weeks of paternity leave. For those of you who may have been poised to... Spring into spring, action. Spring into action, such as perhaps yourself, Artie. You now got the two weeks.
0: If anything, this is an added incentive structure to have kids. To have kids. That the carrot, which is two weeks off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how people think of things. Holding a
1: screaming, crying, not sleeping little human being in your hands. Does remind me of that time when Isabel, now 25, soiled my shirt while I was on a video call. Are you sure you were talking about the pigeon before? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, sorry, an aragon? No, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Not how we're doing it. So bravo, Switzerland, that they've... uh, You know, especially the Western Switzerland, the French-speaking part, the Italian-speaking part, German-speaking part, maybe was a little less on board with this thing. Not so much into the paternity thing. Not sure about that. Maybe they just want to get back to work. Like I always said, you got to get back to work to rest.
0: This is what they said in Yugoslavia back (laughs) in the 70s. (laughs) How do we get there? That's quite a, quite a leap. Hashtag
1: socialism. Yeah. Thanks. Sixteen people making a screwdriver. This is, yeah, this reminds me of an old joke, but uh, I, I, Why would I not Why would you not say it?
0: It's a good thing you don't have a podcast to say it.
1: Yeah, no, this is not that kind of podcast. This mm-hmm. is a different podcast. So we'll keep monitoring those wire services for more Swiss news. We'll keep you updated. I'm sure there will be more of this to come. Much, much more. Many pigeons. Bigly. Bigly. On the borders, many pigeons. Many of the pigeons don't have any papers.
0: Disclaimer. No pigeons were hurt in the making of this podcast.
1: Not even the one outside with a half a foot off. Well folks, that about wraps up this week's episode. We'd like to thank our guest, Barbara Ramos for joining us and talking to us about all things COVID and of course, future career options for Artie and I. Mine tends a little bit towards retirement. So we were really focused on Artie there. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did.
0: That's right. Thanks, everybody. And also, don't forget to download this episode and subscribe to make sure you catch our next episode in a few weeks and catch up on all previous ones. Oh, and don't forget to tell your friends.
2: Until then, stay classy, world.